0: You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission List. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. I'm Brian, I'm part of the teaching team here at The Mission, so welcome, it's good to be with you today. Uh, We're going to go back to our occasional uh, sermon series on the Psalms, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 116 uh, today. I was thinking about this, though. There are certain things that you hear in... If you were to hear them in the world today, they wouldn't make much sense. They maybe made sense at a time period in the past, but they don't necessarily make sense today, right? So here's one. No one can call. My sister is on the phone. So I have a little picture of that. Maybe I have a picture of that, James. There we go. Anybody remember that? Like uh, those of you that are of a certain age... You had one phone in your house and it had the really long cord and invariably your brother or sister would pull that thing all the way down to their room and be in there talking on the phone and nobody could call. Not that we call anyone today anyway, but hey. Um, or how about this one? Just a minute. I need to get my dial-up modem started. All right? You guys remember that? It's looked a little bit like this. Some of you don't even remember that. And, and then remember that you would connect through AOL. And I literally, I went back to listen to the sound as I was getting ready for it, so I tried to bring it in here, but it would take like 30 seconds of these like high-pitched noises going back and forth, and and suddenly you were connected. And if people heard that today, kids, they would have no idea what you're talking about. Um, But there are also some things that if we were to hear them today, they feel a little bit outdated, like, you know, who really says that, who really thinks that today, right? You could hear this, they are committed to their marriage, or how about this one? He practices a self-sacrificing love. He's not all about himself or what he can get from life. Things that you maybe don't hear today, but maybe wish you should or could hear today, right? So we're going to look in the Psalms and an example of this um, as we go through this passage. Let's read uh, it's Psalm 116 together. It says this, I love the Lord because he hears my voice in my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again. For the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, and so I walk in the Lord's presence. I believed in you, so I said, I am deeply troubled, Lord. In my anxiety, I cried out to you, these people are all liars. What can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. Oh, Lord, I am your servant. Yes, I am your servant, born into your household. You have freed me from my chains. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the house of the Lord, in the heart of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. What I'd like to do today is sort of go through, break this down verse by verse, and then draw some conclusions to it. But the psalmist begins with a message that is not well understood or wouldn't be well understood in the world that we're in today, right? He says, I love the Lord. I love God. And there's a whole set of people in our world today that uh, don't believe that God exists, that it was maybe something that superstitious people believed in in the past or people that are weak or need a crutch believe in today, uh, but this if we were to make this statement to them, "I love the Lord," it would mean meaningless. It would have it would seem uh, anachronistic. It would seem like it was outdated. It didn't have any part in the way we understand the world. Or there might be others. There are others in the world today that, for them, God is is simply a force, a. Um, something that's uh, inanimate, that uh, is out there, that has a lot to do with luck or what happens in the world. It's this idea of being a force, but it's not something that's real. And so when the psalmist begins, it says, I love the Lord. Again, that doesn't make sense. This is an intimate, personal relationship with an infinite, personal God that the psalmist is describing. And he says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice. I love that. What's our voice? Our voice is that part of who we are that allows what's down deep inside uh, to come out. So it's, a, it's our way of expressing how we're thinking, how we're feeling, uh, expressing who we are. And you get this incredible picture, I love the Lord because he hears my voice. So God is, is desiring to hear from us of, of our expressing who we really are, of what we're really like, of what we're really feeling. And that's not the only reason why the psalmist says, I love the Lord. He says, because he hears my prayer for mercy. And so mercy, right? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Now, I'm sure none of you are like this, but when I was a kid, uh, I would um, sometimes not do what my parents told me to do. And um, I would be in a certain kind of trouble from that. And I can remember, maybe once or twice, but I can remember being called in by my parents, knowing that I was going in there to get what I deserved and not looking forward to this conversation, thinking about all the ways I could avoid it. And somehow in the midst of that situation, my parents read it right, knew that I felt guilty for it, and instead of giving me what I deserved, demonstrated mercy to me, right? And that's exactly what happens with us with God. Every single one of us has disobeyed God We've, uh, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's a consequence that we all deserve because of that. There's a, there's a consequence, some of which are natural, that happen in this world, and some of which relate to uh, what happens in eternity. Uh, but what the psalmist is saying here is, I love the Lord because he hears my prayer for mercy. So he responds by giving us what we, uh, by not giving us what we deserve then he goes on in verse two and he says, because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. I work at a school and when I read this verse, what I pictured was a little child and the teacher or the administrator uh, bending down to listen, right? This child has this little voice, can't be heard, is dealing with pain, hurt, whatever's going on in the situation and you get right down on the floor next to them to be able to hear what it is that they're saying. Isn't it an incredible picture? The God of the universe does that for you and I. He gets down and he listens and he hears. That's the value that you have. It's an incredible picture in my mind. Verse three says this. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, Save me. This is picture of God answering at the moment of trouble, right? He's he's dealing with the toughest stuff of life. He's being broken, beat up, and the response, the prayer, is immediate, and the response from God is there for him. Please, Lord, save me. It's been interesting over the last maybe six months. I have had one or two conversations uh, with people where I was really struck by the fact that there was a, a strong fear. Of death. That's what the psalmist is describing there. The terrors of the grave overtook me. And I think sometimes, uh, particularly for those people who are not believers, who don't have a relationship with God, who don't have certainty about what happens to them after they pass away, there is a lot of fear to death and to dying. And, uh, and the response, though, is what we see here. All of us have the same opportunity to call out to the Lord, please, Lord, save me. Then verse 5. How kind the Lord is, how good he is, so merciful, this God of ours. Those three adjectives, right? Absolutely incredible. Kind, good, merciful. That's the kind of God I want to serve. A God that's kind, good, and merciful. Then verse 6 says this. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death, and he saved me. That expression, childlike faith, reminded me of the story in, in the New Testament, right, where Jesus welcomes the children. This is in Luke chapter 18, verses 15 and 16. He says, it says there, One day some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom Of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So, what is this idea of a childlike faith? I was thinking about my own experience of coming to faith in God. I accepted Christ when I was five years old. And as I reflect on it, it was really a very simple understanding. I understood that I had done bad things, uh, that I had disobeyed God, that I had sinned. And I understood that there was a consequence to those things that I didn't really want to have. I wanted to experience eternity with God. It was that simple. And I made a decision to accept Christ as Savior when I was that young. As I was thinking about that, this idea of childlike faith doesn't mean being um, gullible. It doesn't mean just responding out of emotion. Um, It does mean, though, not overthinking it, which is our tendency as adults, right? We tend to overthink things. It doesn't mean getting so distracted by the hypocrisy of somebody else that I can't deal with my own relationship with God because we tend to do that as adults as well. It doesn't mean having um, this hardness of heart that tends to be part of who we are as adults that prevents us from accepting what God has done on our behalf or having pride in the fact that I can do this myself. A childlike faith is simple but sticks to the message it makes sense and that's what God is calling us to and the psalmist reminds us of in this passage then verse 7 says this "It says, let my soul be at rest again for the Lord has been good to me what is our soul I believe our soul is that part of who we are that reflects the fact that we're made in the image of God That's the part of who we are that is designed for us as human beings to connect us with God. And so when we are not in right relationship with him, where sin separates us, where we haven't come to faith in Christ, there's a fracture in that. Our soul lacks peace. We have a sense of anxiety that we're dealing with all the time. And what the psalmist is saying here is that when I have... Uh, when, when I have found God's mercy, when I've been made right in relationship with him, what happens? My soul is at rest again. My soul is experiencing peace. Jumping down to verse nine, it says, and so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. I had to look up this idea. What does it mean to be in the Lord's presence? And this expression's used about 50 times In the uh, Old Testament, probably about half to about two thirds of those times relate specifically to either the tabernacle or to the temple. And that makes sense, right? The tabernacle and the temple were this physical um, manifestations of where God would come and meet the people of Israel. Uh, where he would, uh, where his physical presence was, was captured in one sense for it to be central to the life of the Israelite people. And so in the, in the uh, temple, you had a, a space called the Holy of Holies, and it was a room that was where the high priest went to meet God once a year and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the Jewish people. And so you had this, you had this sense of the presence of God in those situations of being something that's, that's very real. But another, almost half of the times that it's mentioned in the Old Testament, it's different than that. I'd almost call it metaphorical. And it's really this sense of being in right relationship with God, of being in God's will or perfect will. So if we look at that verse again and sort of read it from that perspective, it says, and so I walk in the Lord's presence. And so I walk in right relationship with God. And so I walk in God's perfect will. And so it it starts with the and so-so. It's saying, in result of what God has done for me, I now walk in perfect relationship with him. Jumping down to verse 12, it says there, what can I offer the Lord for what he has done for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I love this. What's his response as he says, looking at all that God has done for me, what am I going to do? I'm going to praise the Lord's name. Praise isn't just something that we do out of roteness in the front end of a church service, that we sing a few songs and maybe we just sit and watch a few songs, you know, a performance that's done on our behalf. Um, It's not just something that I turn on the radio in the car so I... Don't get overwhelmed by road rage you know, concerns, <laughs> right? Praise is this response I can hardly help myself from doing in result of what God's done for me. As I reflect on how good he is, how merciful he is, I can't help myself but praise him. Then in verse 14, he says, I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people. He actually repeats this again in verse 18 where he says, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. And um, I don't know exactly what this means. I get this picture, though, that you know, back in verse three when he's, when he's talking about the toughest times in his life where things were very, very difficult, you can almost picture that in that moment he makes a promise to God. Hey, if you get me out of this, I will do this. And he's saying in these verses is that hey, uh, I am now going to fulfill that, and I'm going to do it in front of other people. And the reason I'm going to do it there is because I want them to know what you've done for me and the fact that I'm seeking to be obedient uh, to you. Then he says in verse 15, the Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. I think there's two aspects to this. First, we have to remember that God's design for the universe was that Adam and Eve would live forever and be in relationship with him. His design was not that there would be death. Death came as a consequence of sin. We see this in Romans 6:23 for it says for the wages of sin the 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 just Uh, punishment that we receive because of sin is death. And so that's the consequence. And so uh, it would be expected that that as God sees the consequence for the decisions that we've made, that he would have uh, a sadness, that he would care deeply when that occurs. But even beyond that as well, we see this in John 11, right? Remember in John 11, uh, Lazarus has died, And Jesus shows up a couple days later and he arrives on the scene and all the uh, people are mourning uh, uh, for Lazarus' death. And it says there that Jesus wept. So he recognized, he saw what these other people were experiencing and he shared that same emotion. I think it's the same idea that's being expressed here. The Lord cares deeply. He experiences or shares that same emotion that you're feeling at that moment of the sense of loss that you have when somebody close to you dies. And then uh, this passage finishes with a sort of repetition of what he had done in verses 12 through 14. It says in verse 17, I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the house of the Lord in the heart of Jerusalem. So again, this idea that Our response to what God has done for us is a heart of thanksgiving, is a gratitude, is praise uh, to Him for who He is for us. Got me to me thinking as I went through this passage and thought about hey, this is a passage about who God is. That I think we have to ask ourselves what kind of God am I serving? What kind of God are you serving? And I say that with a little g in quotes around it, right? Because the tendency, uh, so the idea of a God is just anything you're ordering your life around, anything that's determining the priorities that you're making in your life, that's your God. And so for some people, it might be that God is, is financial wealth. Being, becoming rich. Maybe not really being rich. I just want a little bit more than I have right now. And I begin to order my life around that. I make decisions so that uh, every time I'm offered overtime, I take it because even though that might mean changing some of the other priorities that I should have in my life. Or maybe it's I choose to do a job that I know is morally wrong, yet I know I I do it because of this desire, the fact that this money or financial success is my God. Oh, uh, maybe it's I will say anything to close a sale because I want to pursue this God of money. So for some of you, that may be what it is that you, the God that you're serving is this God of financial success. For others of you, the God that you're serving. May be uh, sexual gratification. You're prioritizing your life. You're ordering your life in such a way that that becomes your top priority. You make it drives the decisions that you make in the relationships that you have in life. It makes you turn an, uh, uh, your ears away from where God's standards might be in this regard, because hey, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to pursue. For some, the God may be something that doesn't sound really bad, right? Our God may be the fact that we, we prioritize our, our lives around our kids' achievements. I make decisions about, you know, what I do so that my kids will experience success. And sometimes, honestly, that success is all about our living our lives through our kids. I don't know if you ever heard that quote, don't blow it, you only have one chance to live your life through your kid, you know? <laughs> Um but but seriously, we order some people order their lives, uh, prioritize their life, and that becomes their God is their child's success in something. Or maybe your God is a relationship where what you're doing, you're prioritizing your life, you're ordering your life around some relationship. and that relationship has become your God and it's pulling you away from where you really should be. It's pulling you in a direction because this person is using you. This person is uh, destroying who you are. This person is separating you from a real relationship with God. Because I look at this chapter and I see something very different about the kind of God that we should be getting to know, the kind of God that we should be serving, the kind of God that we should be ordering our life after. Right, when you think about this, it's a God- Who uh, hears our voice? It's a God who bends to listen. It's a God who answers at the moment of trouble. It's a God who saves you. It's a God who cares for you deeply. And it's a God who loves you. What kind of God do you want to serve? This is the kind of God I want to serve. I want to say like this psalmist did, I love the Lord. And then that makes a difference with how I order my life. This describes the God of the world, the God of the universe, and I want to order my life after him. And I want to challenge you today, to, to, to you as well, to order your life, to make that the basis of priorities in your life. To be in relationship with him. Let me just... Um, Close with this. If you're here and you don't have that kind of relationship, you don't have that kind of peace with God, today's the day where you can do that. You can come to be in right relationship with God. Maybe you've accepted Christ and you hadn't realized it till I was sharing it that you have another God that's actually directing your life, that's actually what you're ordering your life after. And today can be the kind of day where you get that life reordered with the kind of God who bends to listen to you, who loves you, who hears your voice. Let's pray and the worship team can come back up as well. God, I love you. Lord, I'm grateful to you that you hear my voice, that you bend to listen. Lord, that you care in our, our deepest moments of trouble, Lord, that you are merciful to me. Thank you, Lord. I want to order my life after you. Lord, forgive me for where I have failed to do that, where technology's gotten in the way of it, or where relationships have gotten in the way of it, where work has gotten in the way of it. Lord, forgive me. And Lord, for those that are here today that don't know what it means to have their soul be at rest, to be at peace with you. Lord, may today be the day of salvation for them, that they would pray and recognize that you've made a way for them to be restored, to be at peace with you, to be in right relationship with you through what Christ has done on the cross. And they would pray asking for forgiveness, asking to be made right with you. Lord, I just would ask that today would be a day where all of us could say, I love the Lord. God, we ask this in your son's name. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.